What's up, everybody, and welcome to the weekly update. This is one week late, and I'm sorry about that. That's just the way that it is. I have been moving all week to Mexico, where I currently am, and I will talk more about that in the next weekly update, because this is the weekly update for last week. Yo, what's up, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to this stream. I'm your host, David McCarricker, a.k.a. or formerly known as Theory Pleep, and uh, you can just call me Dave, but Theory Underground is getting ready um, to launch into a bunch of new things. A bunch of new stuff is getting rolled out here, and that's what I'll be talking about, but I'm currently just uh, filling the void here while I with, with speech while I try to get set up on the other live stream. So, uh, week in review is what we'll be talking about. Title added. All right, let's go live. Check, check. Chick, chick, chickity check. Are we live? What's up, everybody? Welcome. Looks like we've even got some people in the chat. How's it going? Good to see a secret Asian Dan and Snellgrove. What's up, everybody? This is episode two of a weekly show that I've been doing as a way of, oh my God, wait, hold on. Gotta turn my camera around on the Instagram. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is episode two of a new series that I'm rolling out where I do a week in review, which is my way of trying to keep you in the loop if you are wondering what's going on with Theory Underground. Kind of like a newsletter. My, don't mind my glasses that are broken here. This, uh, this came off like right before I started the stream. Um, I'm not even seeing impaired. I just get headaches from blue screens or blue lights all day. And apparently these kind of glasses are supposed to be able to help, which is why you'll see that they kind of reflect blueness. So, um, some new ones are on the way, but for the time being, while I'm talking, they'll be like turning sideways. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. So anyway, I'm your host and it's my job to tell you what you missed. What did you miss? Not very much, actually. I mean, a lot of this happened, but most of it's been administrative busy work on my part. Uh, almost every day has been spent feeling angsty about how I want to be reading the works uh, for the courses that are coming up, but feeling, oh, like I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And so here I am. Uh, Ready to tell you, though, that tomorrow the idea of the university course launches. So all aboard, the train is getting ready to depart. What does that mean? Well, it just means that, you know, rolling with the theory underground metaphor, the idea is, is that there's a lot of lines of thought that are worth, worth thinking through in a rigorous way that is based in readings and writing before talking because reading and writing um, are two of the most essential parts of thinking. And if we're just talking without doing those other requisite parts of thinking, then all we're doing is talking instead of engaging in a more rigorous and sustained dialogue or conversation. So, Howdy Selkie from Los Angeles. Good to see you. How you doing? So the first three lines of thought that you can get aboard with Theory Underground are 
and I'll just pull them up here on the screen. For the people watching from YouTube, for the people watching from Instagram, uh, you're shit out of luck, and I'm sorry to say. There's just really nothing we're going to be able to do about that. But uh, you can always watch it after the fact. Uh, but I'll also do my best to describe to you what's going on. So um, I'm going to pull up the website for Theory Underground, and I'm going to go to the course listings. Um, there's just a tab on the top header called uh, courses, and uh, that's what I'm going to pull up here. And we're going to look at them together and talk about what they are, when they begin, how to go about enrolling in them, why you might be interested in enrolling them, who's teaching them, etc., etc. We're not going to focus too much on Slavoj Žižek's For They Know Not What They Do because he's a very famous man, and that course is starting in late February, so you actually have plenty of time to psych yourself up for uh, a text of that level. Uh, but for now, as sort of prereqs, just to even start thinking about what it is that we're doing here today, the idea of the university begins tomorrow. The idea of the university is not just a course about the idea of the university. It is also a course where we read the book by that name from cover to cover. The book is by Carl Jaspers, the philosopher, psychiatrist, and literary critic, but really one of the towering figures of German intellectual life. And uh, the idea of the university is a work that he wrote while let's just say that uh, Germany was having to rebuild itself after being blown to smithereens by Nazis and people who were trying to defeat the Nazis. And so uh, this is dedicated to the president of Heidelberg University, the person responsible for the reconstruction of the university. And obviously after you have a fascist regime um, in power, a place that is supposed to be dedicated to the pursuit of truth and academic freedom is going to need to be reconstructed. So, you know, how do you go about doing such a thing? Um, well, it's kind of actually the job of a philosopher to say, we have to think about the idea itself. The idea itself is the thing that the institution is supposed to be trying to actualize, trying to materialize, trying to reach for and approximate and achieve, but um, so often fails to do so. And obviously, you know, you don't encounter perfect circles in nature. That's a thing of geometry, a thing of the mind. And the same could be said of the university. The perfect university, the ideal university is a thing of our mind, but nonetheless, something to take seriously, especially if we want to do a positive critique. And so on that note, the one of probably the most interesting things that happened this week was getting interviewed by Cadell Last of Philosophy Portal. Cadell Last is someone who's doing similar work to the Theory Underground, and so there's a lot of overlap in our interests, and I'm really excited to find out more about the stuff that he and the cohort of uh, creatives and intellectuals over there are doing. Um, reading Hegel and Nietzsche and stuff like that. But Cadell Last is going to be taking the idea of the university with us. And so he had myself and my fiance Anne, but she's not just my fiance in this case. In this case, in this context, she is also one of the co-instructors of the course. Um, he had us both on to his show at the Philosophy Portal uh, to interview us. And, you know, I kind of expected it would be like this quick little, you know, oh, here's, you know, like, 
I, I don't know. I don't know what I expected. I already liked Cadell, but I just I, I've been in a lot of interviews or conversations on shows and stuff like that. And I th was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, he's really here for a conversation and he's asking really good questions. That shouldn't have surprised me. I should have seen that coming. But instead, I was just kind of like pleasantly surprised. Like this was a really good conversation where um, he was asking us all kinds of things about why Theory Underground, where, where, do we, where do we come up with this thing? Like what's the purpose of it? Like what's our history with like how we got into this kind of stuff in the first place? And, uh, you know, he, he asked me, who's Carl Jaspers or Jaspers? We had a whole conversation about that too. Like, is it Jaspers or is it Jaspers? Um, and it looks like in the chat, Anne said, we've accidentally been calling him Jaspers. <sighs> yeah, and then someone today told me, no, it's actually, it is Jaspers. I've heard that. And I think it was Andrew. Andrew, Master Signified Body, said that. He's like, no, it is, it is Jaspers. Well, some videos say it's Jaspers, okay? So I don't know, but it's okay to anglicize things because, I mean, come on, we just got to, the ideas are a lot more important than the names. And that's kind of the point uh, with Theory Underground. It's not about, you know, uh, always having the best grammar or the most overproduced, polished work. The, the point is the ideas, the concepts. Are we actually living through them? Are we really thinking through these things? So that conversation with Cadell last occurred, and it was something that I hope everybody will check out. It is uploaded to uh, his podcast and to the Flossy Portal YouTube, so you can check that out there. Um, then I also had a conversation called Why PMC Critique Matters, and that was with Elton LK of Working Class Intelligentsia. He is the co-instructor for the PMC course that begins on January 25th. So once again, that's coming up quickly here. It's going to be an introductory level course, and we highly, highly encourage anybody who has a college degree or background or some kind of a respect for expertise and professionalism, um, especially anybody who might think that professionals are just the best and not in any way, shape, or form uh, an inherent and essential function in the reproduction of a class society then you definitely need to think about taking this course. So you want to think about class today? Um, get, on, get on, get on with us. It's going to be good. You go to the website, theory-underground.com forward slash courses, and you can look at the courses um, and have, maybe enroll in the courses uh, that we've talked about so far. You can also go to forward, uh, theory underground forward slash events to see all the upcoming things, including this weekly live stream, which is also posted there. So you can see that. Anytime that you're wondering, shit, Theory Underground, what's going on over there? I kind of want to get involved, do something, be there for it. I don't know. Don't worry, we got you covered. There's an actual schedule. I finally got myself on a schedule. So yeah, the PMC conversation uh, with Elton was basically set up to be one where if you've heard people say professional managerial class or PMC and you've thought it was like some kind of like a slur or you thought that it was, I don't know, you, you're under some kind of an assumption. Well, we wanted to just make it very clear. This is what we mean. This is why we think it's important. This is why we think that some other people could maybe think about this idea a little bit more seriously. Um, and we wanted to kind of like uh, roll out the welcome mat and encourage people who are thinking about this thing to come and find out more. So I'll be dropping the link to that in the description as, as with the rest of these things. So um, definitely check out the conversation with Elton if you're curious. And if you're not curious, then you should be. So you should still watch it. It'll also be available on my podcast on Theory Underground. 
So Theory Underground, it'll have this podcast, but it also has the conversation that I had with Anne and Brian, which was, I don't know, held four days ago, five days ago. And that was the other most important and interesting thing that's occurred in the last week. It's called Carl, Carl Jasper's Positive Critique of the University, Three Educators on the State of Education. And uh, three educators on the state of education and one of the students in the course, uh, Nance, who came in through the Zoom call and participated a little bit. I mean, he was there for the whole thing and it was really great to have him along because he's, like a lot of people involved with Theory Underground, somebody who has a complicated relationship to the university as an institution because for him he had said that his family really upholds it as an ideal but for all of the reasons that we are critiquing in this course beginning tomorrow uh, it's it's not really worked out he he's tried to go to college a couple times and dropped out and I know a lot of people who've been through similar things or were high school dropouts before going to college or were high school dropouts before getting into philosophy and decided to never go to college because they didn't want to have to do a bunch of busy work and they wanted to be able to just obsessively go deeper and deeper and deeper into philosophy. And so this is, at the end of the day, hopefully going to be a safe place for obsessives who want to go hard into theory, but also will be a place where we kind of roll out that welcome mat for people who are just getting into these things. And so kind of balancing the deep end and the entry level is one of those contradictions and struggles and hopefully arts that I am trying to develop proficiency in. So stay tuned for um, these conversations starting tomorrow. I'm not fully decided yet if they're going to be live streamed or posted after the fact or cut up and posted in little bite-sized pieces after the fact. I'm not really sure. Um, that's something that I wanted to talk about with the people who are involved before making any definitive or final decisions. Secret Asian Dan says, PMC, a class focused on class. I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that, but I think the opposite is the case. I do not think that the professional managerial class has ever been focused on class, and I think that that is the biggest issue. Insofar as the PMC has thought about marginalization and oppressed groups, or even tried to factor in some old school Marxist analysis, its failure to understand itself as a crucial player in the reproduction of capitalist society and also of everything bad that could replace it um, is one of the more vexing problems, I think, of our time. And it's why you can't just blindly get involved with social change movements and expect that those will result in any kind of long-lasting or sustained positive change because in a lot of ways we are in certain habits and ruts that are uh, undermining our opportunities or chances of actually changing anything for the better. Okay, so that's really what this course is going to be about. And so PMC conscious, it's, it's kind of like the working class, you know, it's, it's a thing that exists in itself, it exists, but it does not exist for itself. Uh, it does not have class consciousness in that sense. Well, a big part of the reason is because the PMC is, in almost every case, the main representatives of any kind of political change. And so it will speak on behalf of the working class if there's a working class movement. Um, but because it doesn't understand that it has an antagonistic role to the working class, um, there's a problem there. And it's a problem that has been being repeated since 
I mean, really throughout the 20th century, and it continues on here into the 21st century. So I hope that's clarifying. I'm not exactly sure where you were coming from with the comment because I could have been mistaking what you were saying. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. What else do I want to talk about before I let you all go for the week? Um, bum, 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 bum. Yeah, so we did that Zizek cancellation stream last week. We did the In Defense of Zizek, and it was really good. And we played Daniel Tut's uh, message that kind of hystericized us, and we responded to that. And so I've been in dialogue with him, as well as a few other people who are implicated in that whole thing. And so there's a bunch more interesting conversations in the works, and I don't want to say too much about any of that because it's all in the works still. But... Um, stay tuned for all that. Another course is going to be announced in a couple of weeks, but we're going to hold back on that for the time being because all of these sexier authors and more and, and, and great texts that have more cultural cachet on the internet are ones that we could have used to really uh, launch with a boom if we wanted to, but we want to focus on the idea of the university and the PMC up front before we get into uh, all of these other works that we're going to be doing uh, because it's what matters and having the correct basis to build upon is what matters. Cool. What else? What else? Uh, I posted a bunch of memes. I posted a bunch of uh, episodes of the Introduction to Lacan lectures with Mikey. Uh, today on the YouTube channel actually was the premiere of the first part of the death drive conversations with Mikey. And so uh, it's, that's been one that really unlocked a whole world for so many of us. And it's one that, I mean, even Anne was just talking to her sister about it. And then um, her brother was asking us about it. We're, we're in Reno right now with her family. And so we're seeing you know her family every day. And it's, it's something that's actually relatable to be able to talk about death drive. Like the fact that we're told that we want pleasure. And so then we rationalize everything we do on the basis of the pleasure principle. We're told that we want homeostasis. We, we're told that we want, 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 want this basic kind of idea of happiness or whatever. But the beyond the pleasure principle through Freud, which then gets picked up and updated by Lacan, basically argues, no, beyond the pleasure principle is death drive. And the fact that we have various forms, very idiosyncratic, very particularized forms of jouissance, which translates poorly to enjoyment. But it's not really enjoyment because it's something that is antagonistic to pleasure. You could say it's a dialectical relation, but it's antagonistic in the sense that we spend all this time being like, oh, I, I, want, I, I just want pleasure, I just want harmony, I just want peace, I just want this, I just want that. I just, yeah, but also you keep getting in your own way because we have our outlets for getting our jouissance and uh, that's the various ways that we frustrate ourselves and, give, and get exhilarated about things, get excited about things, really stress ourselves out about things like gambling addictions and road rage and a million other ways that this can manifest. It's worth thinking about, and I don't think anybody in the world is better at talking about it than perhaps Mikey himself, except uh, obviously I think he would probably say McGowan, but Mikey, as a person who is, you know, who, who never went to college, who's just working class, who's always been surrounded by people who are working class, who's always held himself to the standard of he doesn't understand it if he's not able to break it down to a regular working class person, 
Um, he speaks my language a little bit more, and I know that he does for everyone else as well. And so that's why our conversations have been a hit, and that's why a lot of people are signing up for the For They Know Not What They Do lecture series, where it's gonna be me and Mikey. Mikey lecturing, me asking the questions, and everybody else, of course, in the forum, uh, doing weekly reading reflections and asking more questions that will get brought up in the following weeks. So. That's kind of the vision of Theory Underground, is that it's not just a place where you can purchase courses, it's not just a place where you can purchase books, etc. It's going to be more importantly a place where when you're thinking about those things after the fact, when you think, oh my gosh, I should have asked this, you'll have a place to then do so. So we really want you all to be able to have that because it's really something that all of us wish we had had at the university or maybe we didn't go to the university because we knew we wouldn't get it there, you know? And so we want to welcome you all aboard. I hope that you will, if not take the idea of the university course, look into this PMC course, check the links in the description. And besides that, I would normally, before closing out, address questions and kind of the, the discourse on the forums. But right now, everybody's just doing their introduction posts. Um, I'll say shout out to Andrew Master of Master Signified Bodies on Instagram. That's what he goes by on there. Um, shout out to Bryce Nance and, uh, there's a couple other people in there as well. Let's actually like pull it up here. Let's just make sure I'm doing my shout outs. But basically the people I'm shouting out are people uh, who've Greg done their has... introductions. Ann and Brian did their introductions. Um, I think Nick might've just done his introduction. Um, and, uh, oh yeah, Ken, shout out to Ken, to all of you people who've registered with the website, who found the verification link in the spam folder or had the website have to resend the email. I'm sorry about the technical bugs. I hope that as time goes on, we'll get those worked out. But I super appreciate everyone who sent me screenshots or like worked with me to help me troubleshoot with technical support to figure out any kinds of issues. And I've been very, very pleased to hear that at least a few people had no problems whatsoever and were able to successfully register, enroll in a course, introduced themselves on the forum and did all of that with no problems whatsoever. So that's awesome. Good news to hear. And uh, I want to hear a lot more of that hopefully soon. Cool. So with that, I'll say goodbye to the Instagram people. Take care. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm going to talk a little bit longer to the YouTube audience because look, I can, I can share the screen with you all. And so first, I think I'm going to play this meme from Goodwill Hunting. While I make while I go over my notes here and make sure that I've said everything that I planned on saying. So let's do that really quick here. This might be one of the best formats of a meme that I've come up with uh, for philosophy specifically. This one in particular is a sort of Carl Jaspers meme. It says, how an existentialist philosopher based in, Jas in Jaspers and Levinas talks when getting real with an analytic philosopher, Radlib student activist, or Deleuze and Guattari simp. And then the, on the side there, it says, it's just having fun with juxtapositions, exaggerated beefs, and stereotypes. I do hope people realize it's all in fun. But uh, here we go. Here it is. If I ask you about women, probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. 
I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watch him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel. To have that love for her be there forever. Through anything. Through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand, because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss, because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. a cocky, scared, shitless kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my fucking life apart. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been? How you feel? Who you are? Because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that. Because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you. Who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. You move, Chief. To repeat the caption, it's how an existentialist philosopher based in Jaspers and Levinas talks when getting real with an analytic philosopher, Radlib, student activist, or DNG simp. Look, you can be an analytic philosopher, student activist, or a DNG fan and still have a deep respect for the dimension of human experience that is that escapes uh, symbolization, uh, lo- logical formulas. Uh, metaphysics, etc. You can be, but the predominant tendencies on the internet are not existentialist. And if they are, and it's some kind of like, uh, it's it's usually something a little bit more pop existentialist, like, oh, my experience, my experience is all that matters, blah, blah, blah. It's just not, it's not as, as deep, it's not as rigorous, it's not as rich. And uh, so, you know, that's one of the things about someone like Jaspers. He doesn't just do philosophy. He also lived an extremely interesting life. And so one thing I wanted to do before closing out is read a very short preface 
to the idea of the university. This short preface, I mean, it really is short, so it's only a few pages, and um, it will help answer the question, who's, who is Carl Jaspers? Everyone's so quick to like get, get on the bandwagon for these bigger names, but I think that Jaspers is one that we should be taking more seriously, and I'm really excited to hear that there are people who are coming into this course who are reading a bunch of his other works um, as a way of kind of filling out uh, their knowledge and that they're going to be bringing that into the discussions starting tomorrow. But here we go. Preface. Carl Jaspers, together with Martin Heidegger, is Germany's leading representative of existentialism. Certainly a man of his ceaselessly inquiring mind is indifferent to finding his ideas and reputation affixed with a fashionable label, particularly if that label is used to, de to denote so many varieties of philosophical thought that it is often more confusing than clarifying. Still, he himself chose the title Existenz Philos Philosophie, three lectures, for one of his best-known publications. At a time when German academic philosophy was primarily interested in the highly technical subtleties of neo-Kantianism, Jaspers became profoundly concerned with an issue far more comprehensive than mere theory of knowledge, though by no means unrelated to it, namely that of the human being and his ultimate relation to himself and the universe. What is called philosophy of existence, he says, in his above-mentioned lectures, is but a new form of the one and perennial philosophy. The fact that existence has now become a word of central significance is not merely accidental, for it emphasizes the almost forgotten purpose of philosophy, namely, to intuit and comprehend the origin and essence of reality by the mode in which, as a thinking person, and in a kind of inward-directed action, I am concerned with understanding my own individual existence. This form of philosophizing intends to find a way back to that which really is, away from the mere knowing about the world, away from the customary fashions of speaking, from conventions and the playing of parts, away from all that is mere foreground and surface. Existence is one of the concepts which points toward reality with the accent given it by Kierkegaard. Only by virtue of being fully myself can I grasp the reality, or no, can I grasp the truth of reality. Only by, only by virtue of being fully myself can I grasp the truth of reality. Several influences led Jaspers to this depth of philosophical concern. In consequence of our modern tendency to enclose the work of scholars into departmental boxes, an impressive and important fact in Jaspers's career has remained rather unknown, namely that after studying jurisprudence and medicine, he began his professional career as a psychiatrist. He is the author of one of the best-known German textbooks in this field, which after 1913 went quickly through several editions and was also translated into French. This training not only enabled him in his treatise on the idea of the university to write competently about the scientific responsibilities of higher education, but also, and perhaps more important, it sharpened his insight into the transphysical layers of human existence, hence his frequent emphasis on the greatness yet also the limitations of empirical science. Another source of influence fr came from his encounter with the two thinkers who, probably more than any others during the 19th century, had asked the most radical questions, though from the opposite point of view, about man's relationship to himself, his civilization, his society, and the ultimate. 
the Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard, and the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. But to characterize Jaspers or any other original thinker with reference solely to influences he underwent during the formative phase of his philosophy would be partial and one-sided. For every creative mind not only transforms suggestions and inspirations from outside during the process of absorption, however gratefully he may acknowledge them, but he also expands his search toward directions inherent in his own work and personality. The sheer volume of writings which Jasper's now aged 74 can look back upon is enormous. So apparently this was written during his lifetime. Huh. To mention only his philosophical investigations, all the way from studies of the psychological basis, bases of the great systems of thought to modern epistemological problems and from analyses of individual personalities, for example, Nietzsche, to comprehensive syntheses dealing with the meaning of civilizations and, the human, and of human history as a whole. Who is better qualified to write on the idea and the ideals of higher education than a man of such intellectual breadth? It would be preposterous to use this introduction to summarize for the reader what he will be reading for himself. Only two remarks may be appropriate here. First, though in the idea of the university, Jaspers does not speak expressly of existential philosophy, the informed reader senses the existentialist quest. On the first page, the leitmotif of the whole book is stated, the university is the place where man has the freedom to search for truth and to teach truth in defiance of anyone who wishes to curtail this freedom. In defiance of anyone who wishes to curtail this freedom. To paraphrase Jaspers' definition of existential philosophy given above, the university is a place where man must be allowed to find himself through authentic thinking and living, away from the customary modes of speaking, from conventions and the playing of parts, away from all that is mere foreground and surface. Second, in emphasizing the role of the university as the community of the guardians of truth, Jaspers aligns himself with that tradition which had accounted for the greatness of the German university ever since Kant wrote his treatise on the strife of faculties, and the theologian Schleiermacher, who so deeply influenced liberal religion in Europe and the United States, wrote his essay on the spirit of the university. Though Germany may claim that, at the turn of the 18th century, it was the first of the European countries to take seriously the demand for the freedom of thought which Spinoza had raised in his Tractatus Theologica Politicus of 1670, it is by no means Germany alone from which great documents on the ideal function of the university, university have issued. After the long suppression of academic liberty in France under the ancient regime, the Revolution and Napoleon, two French authors, Victor Cousin and Ernst Renan, both influenced by German thought, restored the dignity of French higher education about and after the middle of the 19th century. In England, about the same time Oxford and Cambridge were awakening from a long and comfortable slumber, Cardinal Newman wrote his famous treatise on the idea of the university defined and illustrated. And two years before Carl Jaspers published the second edition of the essay before uh, the essay here translated, there appeared The Mission of the University by Ortega Gasset, a Spaniard who could no longer be at home in his own fatherland, but had, chose, had to choose the whole world for his domain of living and intellectual exchange. But here one cannot suppress a sad reflection. With all these high ideals in their tradition, how could it happen that despite the courageous resistance of some professors, the universities of so many European countries collapsed shamefully under the attacks of dictators? 
One reason, of course, is the cruelty and thoroughness of strategy by which totalitarian governments pursue their destructive aims against human freedom. Universities have no guns in armies, and whether lawfully or not, they can be closed and silenced. Another reason, however, is that, with few exceptions, the European university professor cared too little about the interaction between academic life and its social and political environment. And this, it seems to me, applied especially to the German scholar, however great his merits in other respects. He could indeed feel himself protected by a long and sacred tradition and forever shielded by a benevolent and respectful government. In addition, he enjoyed high social prestige. And when he arrived, which of course was, to, was not easy, even a high income. Thus, he did not understand that the price of freedom is vigilance and a readiness for sacrifice. He took his exalted position for granted and did not see, or did not want to see, the clouds growing darker and darker above the academic world. Still, provided an ideal, course, provided an ideal corresponds to the true aims of man, it is not any less true because it has sometimes been deserted by weak human beings. If goals never fully attainable did not exist as a challenge and spur to man's conscience, the frontiers of civilization would never have been pushed forward. And while to the dismay of intellectual Germany, some of Karl Jaspers's famous philosophical colleagues betrayed their own professed ideals under the impact of National Socialism, he himself stood upright. Even when his life was in danger, he represented the kind of person upon whom the Romans would have bestowed the title Vir Fortis et Constans, brave and, uh, brave and steadfast man. He not only talked about truth, he lived in truth, and as he had always demanded it from everyone who wished to be counted a man with a sense for true and authentic living. It is not easy to translate any of Jaspers's works. Needless to say, the idea of the university has been rendered into English not merely to add one more book to the ever-swelling number of treatises on higher education. We should listen to it as the voice of a man who, after years of suppression and suffering, could again express his belief in the lasting and ultimately irrepressible value of truth, and we should use it as a spur to look critically upon our own situation. We may see a certain safeguard against governmental tyranny in the decentralization of the American school system and the independence of so many of our leading academic institutions from state departments and political parties. On the other hand, we are not always happy about the dependence of our colleges and universities on private donors, which forces our presidents to knock on the doors of rich men not genuinely interested in academic freedom, sometimes perhaps even suspicious of it. We still remember the hearings presided over by Senator McCarthy in the early 1950s. Our administration staff grows from year to year to take care of our public relations and the avalanche of petty responsibilities. We sometimes despair of our capacity to instill in the ever-growing masses of students, perhaps even our own colleagues, a sense for those, those values of higher education that are more than merely utilitarian. We wonder how much room may still be left for the virtues of contemplation, which are the prerequisites of creative scholarship. We may also ask ourselves the painful question, how our colleges and universities would stand the test of battle against dictatorships. Some, we know, have failed even before minor powers. Nor is it even, nor is it enough to say that many of their apparent disadvantages, which keep our places of learning in contact with the vicissitudes and sharp edges of the practical world, and these are not always pleasant experiences, may be, at least in part, our, our empirical way of learning about and living within the origin and essence of reality.
But perhaps it is not our intrinsic merit, but our more fortunate historical and political situation that has permitted us to survive. To be sure, during the past 30 years, a whole flood of literature has arisen about the value of the liberal arts and the relationship between the sciences and the humanities, and we may rightly interpret this as a sign of our own urge for self-examination. Thank heaven we have even the courage to laugh heartily at our own weaknesses. Yet we have little that, with good conscience, we could set at the side of the works of Schleiermacher, Newman, Ortega Gasset, or Jaspers. Of our more than 1,500 colleges, many cannot claim to have made any contribution to creative scholarship. There are reasons. It has been not much more than two generations since the American institutions of higher learning have, have risen above the older type of college, which was a sort of middle ground between secondary and truly academic learning. We still show the traces of the older conditions in our desire to guide the student through every step of his career, to prescribe his reading, and to control his progress through a pedantic process of examinations. All this is far from the idea of higher learning as expressed by the men just mentioned. In addition, though, we have individual manifestos of power and significance by some of our greatest university presidents. They were more concerned with educational policy than with philosophical problems. No, okay, I'm sorry, I, I'll reread that. He said, in addition, though we have individual manifestos of power and significance by some of our great university presidents, they were more concerned with educational policy than with philosophical problems. Moreover, we like to work in committees. Though such labor may be effective from a practical point of view, it ends by necessity in compromising ultimate issues and deeper convictions, if not in avoiding them totally. Existentialist questions are rarely asked in reports. It matters little what term we may choose to denote reality. Indeed, existentialism has no monopoly in this respect. But only if the struggle will be valiantly fought and expressed can higher education and the democratic society find the sources of continual inner recreation and heightened productivity. Robert Ulick. So that's the preface to the idea of the university, which is in the public domain and freely accessible for everybody to read on their own or in cohort with us in the course that begins tomorrow. And uh, I've made this publicly accessible through audiobook as well, available on the Theory Underground audiobook podcast. Just type in Theory Underground audiobooks or the same book in its audiobook form, chapter by chapter in a playlist or as an entire file all at once, is also available on Theory Underground YouTube. So lots of stuff. And that's pretty much it. And I'm about to close out, but I'm going to check the chat first. What's up, chat? Not a lot. Cool. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining for the weekly report. I'm Dave. And the first trains, the first courses, the first lines of thought here at Theory Underground are departing now. So all aboard. Peace. Just kidding. Record scratch. What? What? It's not over? I thought it was over. I know.
I forgot to do the thing that I'm supposed to do since this is supposed to be a real, you know, uh, operation, not just me doing stuff on my free time. This is supposed to actually bring in enough money to actually pay for the website. So I got to make a quick plug for theory-underground.com forward slash support. If you go to theoryunderground.com forward slash support, you will find a way to get more involved as a as an actual patron, okay? So you can watch the Burt testimonial video there, which I will not play today, but I have played at the end of some videos. It's definitely worth watching. Burt's an amazing man. And basically he says that this stuff has saved his life and that this community of people that he's gotten involved with has been a total lifesaver. So, um, Look, if you believe in this project, then there's a variety of ways that you can get involved. Look, I don't want lack of money to ever bar you from getting involved. And so if you're completely broke or poor or like jobless or something like that, like, you know, I want to work with you. Oh, I still want you to be able to do this if you're passionate about it. Um, and so maybe some kind of a scholarship thing has to be set up. But uh, the main thing is just paying for courses. Add them to your cart. You see them right here. This is how you get involved. That's the number one way to get involved. But there's another way, and I've never really made the plug for it, and it's right here. It's called one-tenth of the annual cost of Theory Underground means of production. Okay, what is the Theory Underground means of production? Well, it's the cost of the website. It's the cost of the podcast hosting. It's the cost of the... LearnDash plugin. It's the cost of the BuddyBoss plugin. It's the cost of all these different premium forms of software that are necessary to run a website like this to build a community like what we're talking about. And you know, there. This is the bedrock. This is the foundation. The website is the foundation. And yeah, we're going to meet a lot of people in the countrywide tour that's coming up later this year, and in uh, you know subsequent tours and conferences and things like that. But the website is the glue that holds everything together. And so um, the costs of all of that minus the cost of my labor roughly comes out to like 1500 bucks. And uh, the, the number only goes up as new things get taken on. Um, but I wanted to make it so that you can just pay for one-tenth of the cost. And we got our first our first one-tenth patron in the last week. So shout out to Bryce for, for doing that. It really means the world. Seriously, thank you so much. That makes me feel a little less anxious and kind of like, hey, this might work out. Maybe I'm not crazy for doing this. Thank you. It really does mean the world. I really need unbroken glasses. I need, I need new glasses. All right, that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go worry about my glasses and the rest of you all have a wonderful night, morning, afternoon, wherever you are, whenever you're watching this, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, whenever you're watching this, probably this week, um, have a good rest of your day. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.